You're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Do you want to speak with confidence and authority, have more influence, and get bigger and better results? Whether you're a top executive, an entrepreneur, or climbing the career ladder, this is the show for you. A leader who wants to inspire others and leave a lasting legacy. Now here's your host, world-renowned TEDx speaker, author, and executive communication coach, Dr. Laura Sokola. Welcome to the podcast, Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, your host, founder of Vocal Impact Productions and author of Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice. My guest today is Bruce Sham, SVP of Advanced Sales at Mass Mutual of Greater Philadelphia and founder of Special Journey Solutions, a financial services practice that helps families with special needs access and maintain the benefits that they need. Bruce, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Laura, for having me. Tell us a little bit about your about your company. What's your 30-second elevator pitch? Well, I help advisors, both new and older, uh, address their clients' needs, you know, help their clients with their planning and help them sort of to create, protect, and preserve their wealth so that their families, their businesses can continue and that they can really live their best life. They can live the life that they want. We all love the idea of retiring someday. We love the idea of making sure that we've got the reserves put aside so that we can have fun later on. But sometimes it's confusing to figure out how to get there. Absolutely. So tell me, what's your favorite part of your job and why? I think the fact that every day I can wake up to something new, it's like it's different every day. There's no cookie cutter day in my life. In the morning, I could be working with a young couple and helping them plan for their children's college education. And in the afternoon, I could be working with an attorney and setting up a special needs trust for a child with special needs. It's just always something new and different and exciting. It's interesting. I don't know if when you were a kid, did you think to yourself, I think I want to go into insurance or I want to go into financial. Is that something that went through your head? Is that something that goes through anybody's head? No, I always say, I don't think we play. I'm going to be the insurance man. You know, we play you know, <laughs> cowboys and Indians or right. You don't ever play that. But, uh, but there's something that you love about it. And that's what's important. And you certainly have mastered that art. Now, tell me something that is happening in the industry or in your company, whether now or you see it sort of coming down on the horizon. Yep. And where is your communication going to need to be really focused and careful as a result of it? Well, that's a great question. You know, I, we often say how I've been in the business 42 years. And, in, you know, when we started, you had two kinds of insurance. It was just very, you know, chocolate and vanilla. And I would have to say in the last few years, there have been more changes and more things that we had to adapt to and become accommodating for, you know, with our clients, for our clients, just the industry has pretty much exploded. So we have to work very closely, you know, not only with our coworkers and our management team, but like lobbying with our politicians, you know, to get things done, to make sure that things stay in place. We have to be a sounding board for our corporate offices, for our company make sure that they're responding to the needs of the field. And we need to be able to work with the individuals within the company that are making these crucial decisions for our clients that will affect their livelihoods. Now, you mentioned a bunch of different stakeholder groups in there. You mentioned talking to people like politicians and doing some lobbying work. You mentioned your clients. You mentioned training your own FAs. How do you have to adjust your own communication when working with each of these different groups? That's a great question, Laura. I, sometimes I feel like I'm a chameleon because I could be you know, presenting to the Bar Association or an estate planning council, and I have to communicate in one fashion. 
And then other times. And what would that fashion be like when you're talking to the bar? I'm very analytical, factual, citing case studies, going through PowerPoints and you know, maybe being very visual in the presentation where other times I might be brought into a, a case situation where I'm being met with some adversity. The clients aren't as open and engaging. I remember one time I went in that it was actually a business and it was a pizza business and three sisters were sitting there with their arms folded. Like I was probably the 20th financial advisor that came in there and tried to help them with the succession planning. It was three sisters. They were all married and their younger brother wanted to keep the business. And so how are we now going to come up with this solution? To He wanted to keep it, but they wanted to sell. And they wanted to sell Got it. it. And so I noticed when I walked in, there were all these pictures on the wall. And so instead of taking out, you know, our 16 page fact finder and sitting down and saying, you know, when was the business founded and going through that traditional the fact finder being an intake form that you would do with that you would go through kind of wrote with any prospect. Yes. Okay. I started looking at the pictures and I got up and I said, wait a second, that's fifth and Gerard. Is that, is that where your first business was? Is that where you started? And, and then they're like, Oh my God. And there's the first, you know, dough machine that they brought back from Italy. And oh my God, do you remember when, when mama used to make the sauce and she used to stir the sauce and grandma did this. And the next thing you know, they're like, Oh, you got to taste the sauce. You got to taste the sauce. And I'm like, now all of a sudden they were completely engaged. And, you know, fortunately the other advisor was diligently taking notes because we completed all of our data gathering just through that walk down memory lane. And you never actually cracked the folder with the four minute. Never cracked the folder. And then we just talked about their feelings and what they wanted. And I saw the brother's son flipping the pizzas in the back. And we were able to come up with a solution to a very sensitive situation. That personal touch can make such a big difference. There's nothing warm and fuzzy about a 16-page intake form. <laughs> no, not at all. Although politicians uh, and policy writers do seem to like them. So they like that, there right? is a big difference for sure. Now. Let's talk about, you know, you mentioned that a lot has changed over the last few years, in particular, of course, with COVID, and as it has for everybody, how has your virtual presence improved in the last 18 months or so? And where were you in the beginning? Where are you now with your virtual success and, and comfort and, and effectiveness, et cetera? And where would you like to be? You know, I do have to say, you know, working with professional coaches like yourself, that's a game changer, right? That has helped me tremendously. How so? Where were you in the beginning? Well, in the beginning, I didn't even know how to turn on a microphone. I didn't know <laughs> that there was special lighting. I didn't know to be sensitive about this great hairline I have and how it just reflects <laughs> off the ceiling. And I needed to be sensitive to, you know, I'm used to walking into a room, shaking hands with somebody, engaging with that person speaking publicly where I'm looking at the people and talking to them afterwards over coffee. And now all of a sudden I'm going from meeting to meeting to meeting you know, via Zoom. And so it's a very different experience. And when you're the speaker, you can't always see the faces of everybody. Virtually, right. So you can't see it. So I'm not getting the body language that I need. One of the most challenging things I ever did was do a presentation to no audience, mm -hmm. right? Like, you have no idea if the audience is responding to what you're saying. Right. And in the virtual world with a just, if you know, if I was just working with you and your husband, like, I don't know that your husband may be in the background going, like, get him <laughs> right. out of here. We're done. Shooing his hands Shoo away, making faces. Right, right. right. If we were sitting in the room together, you know, I would have all that body language. So that it was a challenge. Now, what was interesting, there were advisors that we brought in during this time that never had a face-to-face -face meeting. And I just love seeing how they have just thrived and grown and been able to adapt to this virtual world. 
And now I'm like, you know what? I think you better shave. You know, I think you better get a haircut. Like, <laughs> so meaning they people who'd only ever met prospects on the telephone. Correct. So it wasn't in person where they could shake hands, right. but it also wasn't on video. Right. So their physical appearance was never uh, relevant. Correct. Correct. Okay. It's a very interesting process. So we've had to adjust that as well. So, you know, I remember you saying when we were talking, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago that one of the biggest challenges for you is that you said, I know that if I can if I can just shake their hand, we can make that connection and I can close the deal. So now I think it must be harder because there's a gatekeeper that this virtual world, you have to earn the right to get them to say yes, to be willing to meet you in person where you can shake their hand. So the importance of being effective and making that connection virtually is really the first massive roadblock or moat that you have to cross. Am I understanding that correctly? Absolutely. And, you know, it really has created for a little bit of a longer process, you know, in the cycle, because there's that element of trust and it might require an extra meeting just to gain that trust because it is different. You know, I have found that if the other colleague that I'm working with, the other advisor, maybe knew the person, you know, and that they had that connection and they were bringing in as sort of, you know, the advanced planner, it made for a much more, you know, a simpler process because there was that instant connection and Jack brought Bruce in, Bruce has to be okay, you know, so. Right. And it's great if you have that relationship with someone before you even begin, but obviously we we don't always have that opportunity where we're not always that fortunate. So you have to be able to make that connection when you can't shake their hands. And those kinds of small details really do make a big difference. And I do want to commend you, Bruce, because you sound fabulous. And, you know, you mentioned adjusting your your equipment and those kinds of things. And Bruce and oh, I, had, I just bought a new microphone. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And you know what? Can you share with people? So I want everybody else to hear the difference because you've heard me wax, you know, on and off about it. But if Bruce had just gone with the standard mic that comes with the computer, which is what like everybody else tends to just use for the most part and what he had been using. Can you just toggle, Bruce, we're on Zoom right now and shift your microphone. Say hi to everybody first. Okay. Hello, everybody. And let's go to, how about this voice? Okay. Let's go ahead. Give us a, a hello or the alphabet or something. A, B, C, D, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P. Hello, everybody. Yeah. So, you know, when I'm listening. That's my original voice. That's Well, no, it's your original microphone produced microphone. voice, right? And so what I'm hearing there is now I know you can't hear it, but everybody else who's listening can hear. It's it's a little more tinny sounding, a little more metallic. It is colder. I can hear some background distortion to it. It's not horrible. It's just different. Now, shift back to your other microphone. Shift back to your new okay. toy. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, K, L, M, N, O, P. Yes. So there's such a difference in the warmth of your voice. I feel more like you're sitting across the table from me and not that we're talking through two tin cans on a string kind of a thing. So I think that's such a great illustration. And I love the fact that you you just shifted. And, and he, you know, we were talking a few weeks ago about having Bruce on the show. And when we got to this topic, he said, can you recommend a microphone? I want to be able to make sure that I'm really, that people are hearing what I want them to hear. And so we, we went through a bunch of options. And I love that he knew that you knew you wanted to make sure that your voice represented the best of you. And a lousy mic doesn't do that. And it's, should it make a difference? See, this is the thing. People get stuck on the should. People say, well, why should it matter? You know, my content is this. My knowledge is that. My experience. Okay. Well, to Bruce's point, like, it should it matter if the guy shaved? Maybe not. It doesn't change his expertise, but it changes how your audience receives you and how they subconsciously prejudge the value of what you're saying. So if you sound like this, 
versus if you sound like this. I love that you you made the upgrade because it was important to you to connect with my listeners who are now your listeners and have them hear the beauty of your sound as it enhances the quality of what you share. So thank you so much for, for allowing me to do this demo. No, thank you. So let me ask you this. We're now going to shift gears a little bit and talk about our listener 24-hour influence challenge. This is your opportunity to speak directly to our audience and challenge them to take one step that they can complete within the next 24 hours to have more influence. How would you like to challenge our listeners today, Bruce? Okay, so from my position, I think it's important to ask permission to get a second opinion. If you were declined for insurance because of breast cancer or because of uh, heart disease in the past, and you have pretty much determined that you are uninsurable. I hear this all the time, especially with men who had prostate cancer diagnosed 30 years ago. They say, I'm uninsurable. And I'm like, well, when was the last time you tried to get insurance? Like ask the question. We're talking life insurance, right? Any type of insurance. Right? Any type. Okay. But ask the question to your advisor, you know, can I apply for insurance today? It's been 15 years. It's been all my levels are perfect. There is no detection of PSA. And you'd be very surprised because of improved mortality and underwriting that we are able to get these coverages that people want. So, you know, my courageous ask is for you to ask permission to be reevaluated. And it's not just for you yourself, right, Bruce, because it could be that your spouse, your child, your, your parent, your significant other. Absolutely. Absolutely. People think that they are uninsurable and they are not. So I think it's very important that you ask that question. Get that protection for your family. You can't have influence and be successful if you can't take care of people, right? Correct. And, you know, and in that pizza situation that I was referring to, the brother was uninsurable, but we were able to borrow a life. We were, and, and think about it. It was three sisters. We were able to use his wife as the one that we insured. So now it's almost a level playing field because women's mortality is better than men's typically. And so it's more equal. And the four women basically, you know, ensuring one another. Yep. So make sure that you go and get that second opinion for yourself or for someone else you love. For a family member. Yep. Love it. Now, we've been talking about your success and about all the things that you've done well, that you've taught others to do. But in that success journey, in that career journey, we've all made mistakes along the way. So could you share with us one example of a communication-related mistake that you've made? And if you had or would like to have had a do-over... What did it or should it have sounded like? I can think of a couple. I think not asking the right question or not asking the question correctly. And, you know, I think that we all are guilty of maybe assuming something in an answer, but not really asking, you know, what is the meaning behind that answer or just delving a little deeper. And I think of a time where maybe I wasn't as prepared you know, for that meeting. What was the situation? Well, it was, it was referred by a big New York lawyer and it was a second marriage and we were asked to come in and help provide protection for the younger spouse and this younger family. And I guess I, I should have known more about the background of the business and what she was potentially inheriting and maybe some of the complications of the prior marriage. And so, you know, when you, when you are thinking about traditional, you know, meet with the lawyer and they set up a will and everything goes to your wife, everything goes to your husband, you're not thinking about what might still be in place with the ex-spouse. So you may have, you know, misgivings about, oh, I'm going to inherit this. But meanwhile, 
it's still owned with the ex-wife. And is that what you discovered happened with your client? And that is what I discovered. And, you know, here, you know, it's just supposed to be just a very lovely evening and dinner. And it ended up being quite explosive. And, you know, I had to diffuse the situation almost immediately. And, you know, just so the situation, if I make, if I'm understanding correctly, that you're meeting with a couple who's preparing for marriage and somehow in doing your planning, it becomes evident that one of the spouses had something that the ex still owned and that the new spouse to be was not going to be able to inherit. Correct. At least for 10 years, because he was basically buying it from his ex-wife. But meanwhile, they just signed agreements saying that I will inherit his assets. I'm not understanding that this was not his asset to... This was not his asset, but Mm. it was definitely something that she thought was. And so we had to quickly diffuse it. And, you know, had I asked a few more questions of counsel, you know, before I got there, I might have avoided the situation. But of course, it you know, it, it all did work out and they're still great clients and friends. And happily married. And happily, very <laughs> okay. happily married. Very happily married. Good. We love happy endings. Now, of course, that was a difficult conversation or that turned into a difficult conversation where you perhaps hadn't anticipated it going south that quickly. What's an example of a time when you knew you were going to have to share some bad news or initiate a difficult conversation? And how did you handle that? Okay, great. So in my industry, we are privy to a lot of confidential information, medical information. And sometimes, you know, I may look at the individual and I think, wow, you know, college athlete, super, you know, individual, they're the healthiest they could be. But then we find out that they may have had, you know, a STD or something in their past. And, you know, and then meanwhile, now, um, you know, because everything comes up in blood studies, right, in urine studies. And so I'm always sensitive, you know, How much does the partner know about a past life? And so I always say, you know, I have a couple of sensitive questions that I need to ask, or this happens a lot in second marriages, you know, not even the case that I talked about, just Mm -hmm. when there's multiple families and how assets will pass. I ask, is it okay to talk about some of these sensitive things? Like, you know, I want to make sure that they're not hearing it from me for the first time. Mm. And so, and if the wife says, oh, yes, I know that this had happened when he was in college and we are very careful and, you know, we've taken all the appropriate precautions, that's great. You know, that, that makes for, you know, very comfortable. When I'm dealing with second marriages and I'm aware of, you know, everybody's in love and everything's going to be perfect, but the reality is that if we're not paying attention to that next generation planning, just a check of a box could jeopardize a whole family's plan. Hmm. Okay. If you're, you know, disinheriting children, you know, I'm looking at documents all the time where I see that even a happily married couple just disinherited their fourth child because they were so specific about trust for the three. And I called the lawyer today and I said, you know, they had a fourth child. He says, yep, there's no language in there to allow for a fourth child. Mm. So, you know, it's very important that. So how did you initiate that conversation? You just identified this huge hole. How did you approach it? How did you start that conversation? So I said to them, I said, you know, have you been in touch with counsel now that you've moved to Connecticut? And, you know, because my work with them was to set up everything for three children, one child with special needs. And we dotted every I, crossed every T. Well, now the child, they don't even feel has special needs. And so, you know, the trust that was set up probably could be changed. The accounts that were set up probably can be changed. But there was a fourth child. So I don't want to lose this thread here. And then there's a fourth child now that is not addressed at all. So you had to call them and initiate the realization that your current 
policy does not include your fourth child. The current plan does not address all this new child. Correct. Okay. And they were great, very appreciative about it. And and I helped them secure a new lawyer in Connecticut. And because they're not here in Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania lawyer can't fix that document unless they are barred in Connecticut. Got it. So you were able to approach it from a, it sounds like an angle of support as opposed to. Right. Not a crisis that I'm dumping in their lap and walking away. Right. I want to bring them the solution, you know. Got it. For a wonderful conversation. Now, what about when you're preparing, not just for for your clients' futures, but for your own with regard to succession planning. What advice can you give to people, to professionals about how they can prepare their successors? And what leadership communication skills do you think those successors will need to develop? So I'm actually part of a team that works on succession planning in my industry. But obviously, you know, we studied under people from many different industries. And it really is a very interesting process to make sure that you are connected to a vision and that whoever it is that you're working with is connected to your vision. I think that's really, really important. Then they also have to, you know, they need to meet your requirements. They have to sort of mirror you in some way in many levels that the same work ethic and the same commitment to the cause. And, you know, there are certain things that I listen to that they're saying that will either, you know, keep me engaged in the conversation with them or will immediately have me shut down and say, you know what, this is not going in the right direction. So can you give me a little bit more specific as far as what kind of skills in the communication realm, someone who's in line to the throne and they're going to take over. What did you learn when you were getting ready to move up? You were not born SVP. You were not uh, born at the top of your game. You got there. So in realizing that you were going to be in this role, overseeing this many people and this many different kinds of groups, what communication skill set did you have to sharpen to be ready? So I always felt that like I thought outside the box, like I had to ask those courageous questions, you know, to upper management and have a vision. And one thing I learned very early on, you don't bring a problem without a solution, right? You have to give upper management the solution. This is how I would handle it and be courageous enough to ask, you know, have they ever thought of doing it this way? You know, don't keep doing the same thing the same way. You need to be open-minded to a lot of the things that are changing and to keep up with technology so that you're not a dinosaur. And how did you learn that? What was your experience preparing for that? From my children, obviously. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) My daughter, she did my first PowerPoint and she said, dad, this is the most boring thing I've ever seen. Put a little color into it. Mm. This was before they even had clip art. And we had little stick figures and she said, put a little color in it. Next thing you know, my PowerPoint had color all over it and it came alive and she put pictures in it. And sometimes you have to listen to your children. (laughs) (laughs) Now, should I not tell her you said that? No, you can. She's one of my marketing people. She's Oh, got it. Okay. So she's going to figure it out anyway when she shares the podcast episode. That's great. All right. Well, we've outed you, Bruce. So now she knows. And it's Amanda, right? Is your daughter? No, this is my daughter, Mallory. Mallory. Got it. So Mallory, make sure you, you heard it here first that, yep, occasionally dad even needs to listen to you too. So that's great. Now, let's talk about that. Since we're on the the world of the next generation, let's take it one step further. If you were asked to give the commencement address at a high school graduation ceremony, what advice would you give the graduates? Whether or not they're going to college, regardless of their major or their career goals, what's the one thing they have to do to be successful? I love that question. I think you have to stick with your passion and really just sort of follow your dream. Sometimes things don't always turn out the way you may have wanted them to, but 
I can give you an example. I don't tell the story very often, but my favorite kind. I was a theater education major. Wow. In college. And, um, you know, I thought, well, I really wanted to be an actor. And I know I was getting all the parts in all the high school plays in the local community theater. And when I didn't get the part of Charlie Brown and you're a good man, Charlie Brown at Penn State in a college play, I was like, wait a second, if I can't get the lead in a college play, I don't know how this is going to play out. So I majored in the history of American theater and uh, as a teacher, you know, basically I have a teaching background. And so now roll the clock forward and I teach advisors to do presentations, right? To rehearse, you know, and practice how they are going to speak with their clients, right? And I feel like I'm role-playing all the time and I'm, I'm basically just living my dream and I've adapted my skills to just what has become a wonderful career for me, you know, and, and for my family. That's great. Yeah. Following that passion. And it, it is funny how when you look at a career path, often it does not seem like it's a, an actual path or road. It's almost hopping from one stone to another through a river or very randomly just closing your eyes, spinning your finger and seeing where it lands on the map as far as what's next when it does not appear that there's a logical transition from one to the next. Because who would imagine you go from educational theater major to American history to being a teacher to then working in financial advising and, and all those areas? It doesn't seem like there's a logical flow, but clearly there's some sort of transferable skill that allows you to use different passions. And I mean, I did the same thing. I In my former life taught elementary school down in South Central Los Angeles, you know, bilingual community, and then moved to, over to Japan for a while and then came to Philadelphia to do a PhD and was a professor, which I guess was sort of still in the educational track, but to shift from there into the influence coaching and and just now here on a podcast, who would have guessed? So there's it's just a lot of fun to see where these things go. And, and I think it's important for people, adults, not just the next graduating class to be open to new possibilities and, and lead with your heart, right? do what you love. And I've been very fortunate to take you know, my own personal journey, my personal experience, being a father of a child with special needs and being one of the first six in the country advisors to be certified in that type of planning, mm. be able to educate others and to basically share my experiences to help others avoid those mistakes. That has been just an amazing part of, you know, the past uh, 17 years of my practice. Isn't that great when everything seems to come together in a way that makes sense just for you? So you've got your teaching and you've got your parenting and you've got your expertise in special needs and families and you've got your financial expertise and you figured out how to create your world that only you can inhabit. It's wonderful. That gift that you can give. And so, Bruce, then how can people learn more about you and your company? Okay. Well, Google me. That was That's always fun. You know, to, you'll find a lot of information. I'm involved in a number of nonprofit organizations. I speak to many of the organizations and schools. My website, specialjourneysolutions.com, you'll see uh, a whole array of events where we do our special needs awareness night at the Phillies on September 14th. We typically will send 500 to 1,000 families to the game. And so you'll see all the different events that we've done at the zoo and all the things that we've done. We're taking 25 children to the Eagles training camp on Thursday. Oh, what fun. So, yeah, we do, we do some nice, nice things. That's terrific. And so what's the, if people wanted to go to your website, where would they go? Oh, so specialjourneysolutions.com or like I said, LinkedIn. Please feel free to link in with me. Lots of connections. I'm involved in a lot of collaborative practices. 
all again is referenced on my website, which my daughter did create for me. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Mallory. Shout out to Mallory. Yeah. Yeah. She's, um, she, she really just turned it around. So that's great. That's great. Bruce, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your experience and wisdom. Thank you for having me. And to everybody else out there, thank you as always for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And don't forget to give us a five-star rating on iTunes so we can help even more people increase their confidence, presence, and influence. And finally, if you want to download my free guide to equipment recommendations for virtual influence, as Bruce so aptly demonstrated the value of it, including my picks for microphones, lights, and more, go to speakingtoinfluence.com. I'm Dr. Laura Socola, and you're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Laura Sokola, and I want to sincerely thank you for listening to the Speaking to Influence podcast. If you love listening to these episodes as much as I love bringing them to you, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please go to iTunes right now to rate and review our podcast in order to help us expand our reach so even more people can master the three C's to command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal. Thanks for listening to Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite, the show for leaders who want to speak with impact. The hosts, producers, owners, and media distributors of the show make no guarantees that the strategies and information discussed will result in profit or other success and may result in losses. The opinions and statements of the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the owners, staff, managers, broadcasters, or sponsors of the show. No medical or psychological therapy or personal or professional wellness or relationship advice is offered in the show. You are advised to seek counsel on matters related to your health, family, relationships, job, or other business and legal matters from licensed advisors in those areas prior to making any changes in business or lifestyle. No information provided may be suitable in your situation. As always, take responsibility for the decisions and actions you take, including the reactions they may make in your work, family, health, and life.